0: Well, hey friends, I am really happy to be with you on this first Sunday of Advent. I'm coming to you today from our studio for both our online and in-person services. That's because as you're watching this, I'm actually in Denver, Colorado for our first holiday gathering as a family in three years. COVID has blown it up the past two years as it has for many of you, I'm sure. Now it turns out it's not quite our whole gang, Daniel and his wife, Kendall, are expecting their first child in a month or so, and the doctor recommended that she not travel. We weren't able to arrange our flights to get back in time for Sunday, but I really wanted to kick off this Advent series. So I recorded the message before I left town. So for our online campus, this isn't all that different from a normal week. For our in-person services, even though I'm not coming to you live... (laughs) I I hope you'll understand and be able to receive the message the Lord has put on my heart today, a message I'm really excited about. So, Even though I'm not preaching live today, the gang and I will be watching live along with you. Well, we're all used to hearing that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, and for many it is. But you could also make a case that it's the noisiest time of the year. think for a minute about all the sounds of Christmas. Jingle bells jingling. Salvation Army bells ringing. Christmas carolers singing. Department store Santas ho-ho-hoing. Yule logs crackling. Radio stations blaring. Champagne corks popping. Families bickering. Children squealing. Christmas is a cacophony of sound. And generally speaking, we love it. But here's the really interesting thing. Guess what the most popular Christmas song of all time is? And no, it's not Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas. It's Silent Night. Silent Night, as in no sound. Not only is Silent Night on every top ten list of Christmas songs, but it is far and away, the most recorded Christmas song of all time, sacred or secular. There are 733 copyrighted versions of Silent Night, nearly twice as many as the next closest competitor, Joy to the World, which has like 390. Simple lyrics set to a simple tune, first performed on a Christmas Eve in 1818, When the organ broke down in a small german church 200 years later ask any churchgoer their most meaningful christmas moment and they're likely to say it's holding a lighted candle on christmas eve singing silent night holy night all is calm all is bright isn't it ironic that in the noisiest season of the year the thing we most want to hear is silence. That irony captured our imagination as we began thinking about our Christmas theme for this year. Because that juxtaposition of sound and silence isn't just a cultural phenomenon. It's right there in the scripture. On the one hand, the the biblical story of Christ coming to earth has quite a bit of noise to it. Prophets predicting, angels announcing, An old priest and a young virgin bursting into song. A heavenly choir celebrating. Shepherds spreading the news. Magi asking questions. That's a lot of sound. At the same time, there's an intriguing amount of silence in the biblical record. 400 years without a word of prophecy. Zechariah losing his voice for nine months. Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, never says a word. And when we finally get to that holy night around the manger, so vividly described in Luke chapter 2, no spoken words are recorded. What's going on? Why this paradoxical tension between sound and silence? Why was silence so important to that first Christmas? And how might it enrich our experience of Christmas today? And looking beyond Christmas, what role do sound and silence play in the with-God life that we're talking about this year? Now, those are the questions we're going to be exploring as we journey through this season we call Advent, celebrating the coming of Christ to our world. Our journey will take us right through the four Sundays of Advent, through Christmas Eve, and then to Christmas Sunday itself. But, you know, silence isn't always something that we seek. Sometimes silence is thrust upon us, whether we want it or not. Sometimes, in fact, it it feels like God has gone silent. Why is that? And what do we do with that silence? Well, those are the questions we're going after today as we consider the 400 years of silence that preceded Christ's birth. So we'll begin our journey in the final chapter of... the final book of what we call the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name... The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Now, we're not exactly sure who this prophet is. And just to be clear, his name is Malachi, not Malachi. He wasn't the first Italian prophet. Now, I I can hear you groaning from here, because I know that's a really bad preacher joke, but you don't get to preach out of Malachi very often, so there you go. Well, the fact is, we're not even sure that that was his name. The word Malachi literally translates my messenger. So it could be a name or just a description. But like every prophet, Malachi both warns and invites. He warns the people that judgment is coming, that Yahweh will not allow evil to have its way forever. God will put an end to all that is wrong with this world and to all who perpetuate that wrong by rejecting his love and goodness. But he also invites people to avoid that judgment by returning to the Lord and embracing his love and goodness. And and like every prophet, there's a sense of urgency about that message. Surely the day is coming, he says. A day that will Feel like flames licking at your feet or like sunshine on your shoulder, depending on how you prepare for it. And the way to prepare for it, he's been telling them for the past three chapters, is to repent, to turn from evil and toward God. But this climactic day of the Lord seemed a long way off to the people that Malachi was preaching to. I mean, he ministered in the 5th century B.C. It was after the people had returned from their 70 years in exile. So, So they were back in their homeland in Judea, but still under the thumb of the Persian Empire, still living in poverty, and still trying to find their way spiritually. The miraculous days of Elijah and Elisha were a distant memory. The temple had been rebuilt, but there was no sense of God's presence there. And when the people gathered for worship, their offerings were stingy and their prayers were half-hearted. In the words of one commentator, it was an uneventful waiting period when God seemed to have forgotten his people. So Malachi comes along and tries to light a fire under them. Pardon the pun. He promises that a time is coming when Yahweh will speak and act again with power and purpose. Listen to the conclusion of Malachi's message. These are the closing words of the Old Testament. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Yikes. Sounds like an ancient version of peace out. It's pretty ominous. And who was this Elijah they were supposed to look for? Uh, The original Elijah who was swept up into heaven on a flaming chariot? Or some new Elijah who, like his namesake, would call down fire from heaven? And was all this supposed to be comforting but notice again that there's a warning and an invitation an invitation to turn toward each other and to the Lord and a warning of what might happen if they don't but at the heart of it is a promise a promise that Yahweh will come with fire in his eyes and healing in his fingertips now, what the people didn't realize, what Malachi himself probably didn't realize, was that it would be 400 years before that promise was fulfilled. 400 years being trampled underfoot by the Persians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Syrians, and finally, the Romans. 400 years without any signs or wonders to remind them that God was still with them. 400 years Without a prophet to proclaim the word of the Lord. 400 years of silence. Have you ever experienced the silence of God? A time or a season when it felt as though God had forgotten you or, or abandoned his post? The great Christian scholar C.S. Lewis describes what happened to him after his wife died tragically, not, not too many years into their marriage. Listen to these words from his book, A Grief Observed. Meanwhile, where is God? When you are happy and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate. When all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double-bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity, and so very absent a help in time of trouble? Pretty unsettling words. Lewis goes on to say that it wasn't that he stopped believing in God. He just wasn't sure he wanted anything to do with God anymore. I'm sure anyone who's who's suffered a sudden or terrible loss can can identify with that feeling of abandonment, that sense that God has gone silent when you most need to hear from him. But it's not always a traumatic event or loss that triggers this silence. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves by by our apathy or distraction or hard heartedness. Sometimes it just falls on us like a fog for no reason we can understand and we're left to find our way through the mist. A a young woman recently shared a bit of her spiritual journey with me. She grew up in church some of those years right here at Grace Chapel. Sunday school, youth group, the whole deal. Accepted Christ as her savior on a mission trip, went off to college. But her studies and her travel exposed her to great suffering and injustice in the world. And over time, she went from feeling sad about it to feeling mad about it, and eventually to feeling mad at God about it. How could God allow such suffering? And why didn't God do something about it? And over time, she found herself responding to God's silence with a silence of her own. She said she didn't stop believing in God, but but like Lewis, she wasn't sure she wanted to believe in him anymore. The spiritual mystics often refer to these kinds of experiences as seasons of desolation. When all sense of God's goodness or presence is gone. Now, I'm not sure that the pandemic years qualify as a desolation. But I'm guessing that many of us have found it harder to hear God's voice or sense God's presence these past few years. Let's not forget that our church buildings were literally silent for 14 months. The sacred spaces that some of you are sitting in right now were without sound, except for the creaking of the rafters when the temperature rose or fell. And we often wondered in that silence what God was up to. Sometimes these seasons of desolation just happen to us. Sometimes we bring them on ourselves. Sometimes it's a bit of both. But either way, the silence of God can be very disorienting. And that's how it must have been for the people of Israel. As they waited and waited and waited and waited for Malachi's prophecy to be fulfilled. For this Elijah to come and break the silence. But finally, he did. Let's jump ahead 400 years to the New Testament and the opening words of the gospel that we call Mark. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of uncalling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, scholars agree that Mark was the earliest gospel to be written. So let's not miss the fact that the first thing we read about after 400 years of silence is a voice, a loud voice, crying in the wilderness, the old King James puts it. Uh, The message translation describes it as thunder in the desert. That's how loud it was. And did you notice that? Mark skips over all the nativity material. Matthew and Luke give us a couple chapters each about Jesus' birth. Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph and angels and shepherds and magi. Mark skips over all of it. Because for Mark, the thing he's most excited about, the thing he wants to call to our attention, is that after 400 years, God has broken the silence. And the first thing that voice says is prepare, prepare the way for the Lord. In other words, something is about to happen. Yahweh is about to speak or act or both. So get ready. And that voice had a name. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Look how eager the people are to hear this voice. Everyone comes out, from the city slickers to the country bumpkins, priests and peasants. They leave the safety of their towns and villages and go out to the wilderness. Now remember, there's no planes, trains or automobiles. They are walking to the wilderness and there's no food court waiting for them when they arrive in that remote place there's no reserved seating or jumbotron they're standing or sitting out in the open for hours and maybe days just listening to the voice and we understand why it's been 400 years since they've heard a voice like that but they're not just listening They're responding. They're believing what the voice says. They're doing what the voice asks them to do. Verse 5, Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Do you know how unusual this was? For nice Jewish people to be baptized? As if they had committed some terrible sin and needed to be cleansed? As if they were, God forbid, Gentiles? Needing initiation into the family of God? But here they were, by the dozens, by the hundreds, being baptized. And who was this voice who held such sway over great crowds of people? We're told that John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist. Then he ate locusts and wild honey. Seriously? This is the guy they're, they're traveling miles to hear. We're not talking Joel Osteen here in a designer's suit and a million-dollar smile. John's decked out in camel skins and picking grasshoppers out of his teeth. He's a wild man, as fiery and radical as Elijah of old. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, The straps of whom sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, get ready, people. Yahweh is about to do something new. And that something new was Jesus of Nazareth. And in a few months' time, people would be talking about him from the boondocks of Galilee to the temple courts in Jerusalem. So how do we explain it? How do we explain the people's readiness, their eagerness, not only to hear but respond to this outrageous message from a wild-eyed preacher? The simple answer is that they were ready for it. They'd been prepared for it by 400 years of silence. And that's what silence does for us. It prepares us for what's coming, for what we're about to hear. I think about that that moment in Symphony Hall, just before the performance begins, when the conductor, Taps her wand on that music stand and the whole place goes quiet, silent, waiting for the first sound of that orchestra. Think about that moment when the pro golfer steps up to the tee, takes a couple of practice swings, settles into a stance and gets very still. The whole gallery gets quiet. Even Jim Nance stops talking as they wait for that athlete's coiled body to let loose and send the ball soaring toward the hole. Think about that moment when someone you love looks you in the eye and says, I have something to ask you. And you hold your breath, wondering, waiting for whatever is coming next. They don't call it a pregnant pause for nothing. Silence means that something or someone is about to be born. A favorite preacher of mine named Barbara Brown Taylor puts it this way. How shall I break the silence? What word is more eloquent than the silence itself? In the moments before a word is spoken, anything is possible. You see, silence is... Is anticipatory it prepares us for what's next in the spiritual realm it prepares us for what God is about to say or do and so it was during those 400 so-called silent years God may not have been speaking but there was a lot happening the nation the world was being prepared for what was coming The Greek language was happening. During the reign of Alexander the Great, the Greek language became the lingua franca of the entire region, enabling people to communicate with one another across national and cultural lines. The Pax Romana was happening. Political stability and a network of roads that enabled people and ideas to travel from one end of the empire to the other. Synagogue worship was happening. Preaching centers were being established in towns and villages throughout Judea. These cultural and political developments during those silent years provided an infrastructure that would allow the gospel message to take hold and to spread in ways it never could have in the days of Malachi. But just as significant as the logistical preparation was, So was the spiritual preparation that was happening in people's hearts as each succeeding generation became more and more desperate for the day of the Lord to come. So when John the baptizer finally made his appearance, there was this sense of expectancy throughout the land. And when he raised his voice in the wilderness, calling people to repentance, they came out in droves to hear him. And that's what silence does for us. It prepares us for what's coming, for what God is about to say or do. It it quiets our minds. It opens a highway to our hearts. Sometimes, it seems, we're not ready to hear from God until he or we have gone quiet for a while. I'm thinking of, of, of C.S. Lewis in the aftermath of his wife's death when it seemed to him that the door of heaven had been slammed in his face, that God had gone silent on him. And By his own admission, he was tempted to go silent on God to turn away. But he didn't. He hung around. He leaned in to the silence. He listened to the longings of his heart And waited for the still small voice of God. And over time, he began to hear it once again. He writes, I have gradually been coming to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. He began to hear things he had not heard before. Things that, that he might not have heard if not for the silence. The promise of heaven became more real to him, as did the the presence of God in his grief. Sometimes, it seems, we're not ready to hear from God until he or we have gone quiet for a while. I'm thinking of that young woman I told you about who, who, who was no longer on speaking terms with the God she had grown up with. But after a handful of years, she found herself in the somewhat uncomfortable position of working for a faith-based NGO, an organization that was doing relief work in some of the most vulnerable places on earth. And as she sat with believers in desperate circumstances who spoke to her of God's goodness and faithfulness to them, as she witnessed local churches all over the world, serving the materially poor, doing justice and loving mercy. She began to hear whispers of that familiar voice she hadn't heard in a while. She began to believe once again that that the gospel really is good news for all people, that the local church really can be the hope of the world. She still has questions, but, but she and God are talking to each other again and even working together. And, and as her face lit up as she talked about this, I found myself wanting that same joy, that same discovery for, for people who are struggling with faith and church these days. I, I'm thinking of the silence that, that COVID imposed on the church and how God worked through that silence to shape us and prepare us for new ways of, of being the church. How how he kicked us out of our buildings and into our neighborhoods and communities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. How he provided vision and resources to to build a digital ministry that's enabling enabling us to to reach people in ways we were never able to before. How he brought new people into our community and and now is bringing new energy and fresh vision for, for what's next. Isn't it ironic That sometimes the silence of God can prepare us to hear the voice of God. The silence of God can prepare us to hear the voice of God. And wouldn't it be great if that could happen for us this Advent season. In the weeks to come, we'll be learning more about about how that happens. And how in this noisiest of seasons, we can lean into the silence and listen for the sounds of the season. How long has it been since you've heard the still small voice of God? What new thing might God want to say or do in your life, in your home, in our church, this Christmas season? We'd like to help you listen for those sounds by providing you with something we're calling the 12 Moments of Christmas. Three times a week, between now and Christmas Day, we'll be releasing a short meditation drawn from the Scripture, along with a prayer and a song from our Silent Nights playlist. They'll be posted every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on our new website beginning tomorrow you can find them at grace.org slash christmas and also on the grace chapel app three opportunities a week to find a quiet place to take a deep breath or two or three and listen for the sounds of the season we've also added some advent resources to our discipleship journey page just go to grace.org slash the journey scroll down to the journey resource library at grace.org jrl there are some books and podcasts that we've suggested there that can enrich your season and of course we'd encourage you to join us for each sunday of advent and christmas eve online or in person and invite some friends and family to, to come with you lots of people are still finding their way back to church and christmas It's a great time for that to happen. I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment, and then we're going to allow ourselves 60 seconds of silence to listen for whatever God might be saying to us today. So we'll offer you those 60 seconds of quiet, and then we'll enjoy a closing song together. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the promise of this season, for all the opportunities it provides for us to hear from you. Thank you for being a God who wants to be heard, who comes near, who speaks, and who sometimes goes quiet in order that we might listen more closely. Forgive us, Lord, for getting so caught up in the noise of the season in our own lives that we forget to slow down, to quiet down, to listen. Help us this season, Lord, to find some silence, to get comfortable with the silence, and to hear what you might be saying to us, to your church, and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.